Welcome to the Just for Kicks podcast. The incomparable Steve Pearson is with me as we preview the final week of the Premier League season, debate whether Borussia Dortmund can end Bayern Munich's streak of 10 German titles by taking care of business this weekend, and we'll also sort through all the permutations for what will undoubtedly be a wild week in Serie A as a host of teams fight for a spot in the Italian top four and a place in next year's Champions League. The Women's Super League final is also going down to the wire with Man United and Chelsea neck and neck for the title. Who do you think is going to bag it? Chelsea. They're the best team in the league. Almost always have been. Yeah. It's not all terrible under Todd Bowley. It's not all terrible under Todd Bowley. But I think that Bowley sting might just shift things in United's favor. It's just a hunch. We got all that. We got relegation watch. We got some factor fiction and the best betting tips in the galaxy. Mikhail, just bypass the compressor. We ready for the pod? What movie did you just drop me into? Star Wars. Oh. Well, I've got a bad feeling about this. <laughs> Let's punch it. Welcome back to the Just for Kicks podcast. Before we pick up right where we left off and ponder the true magnitude of Manchester City's greatness, Steve, what is the best thing you saw this week? Our beloved Brighton and Hove Albion, the Seagulls, clinching a top six spot. Um, so Brighton will be playing in the Europa League next season. Well-deserved. One of the more romantic stories of the season. Who would have thought going back? Well, I mean, they did upset Man U. Shortly thereafter, when their prized possession, Graham Potter just left them high and dry for Chelsea Football Club and Todd Bowley. Who would have thought that game week 35, game week 36, Brighton would still be in contention to make the Champions League? That they'd make it to the FA Cup final and lose on penalties? What a remarkable season this has been. And again, I hate bringing up refereeing, but if they hadn't gotten jobbed in that Spurs match, things could be very, very, very different. Just how impressive is what these group of guys, led by the incomparable Roberto De Zerbi, accomplished. I will use Pep Guardiola's words. He is far more fluent in this than I am. But he said, quote, pay attention to what I'm about to say. I'm convinced in what I'm saying that Roberto De Zerbi is one of the most influential managers in the last 20 years. When you look at the way they play, the teams they've beaten, and their squad, and who they've lost in the last, I don't know, couple of windows, he came in midseason, absolutely turned it up a notch from Grand Potter's era, and is one of the hottest managers on the planet. I surely hope that he gets a chance to continue this project, but they're very much where they deserve to be um, towards the top of the table, and get a chance to showcase that on some European nights against some foreign competition. It'll be extremely exciting. They're everybody's underdog, right? Like, the, everybody loves the Deservies. They are. Um, you know, what City's doing is really, really, really impressive. What Newcastle did, which was a continuation of what they did last season in the second half, is really, really, really impressive. What Arteta has done with this Arsenal side has been nothing short of transformative. But do you think Deservey is the EPL manager of the year? especially not having a training camp, especially having to come in in the middle of picking up Graham Potter's pieces 
and just overachieving for whew, a grueling season where this is probably the most parody I have ever seen in what certainly is the best league in all the beautiful game. He's a good a candidate as anyone. Um, there are some really, really good contenders this year for manager of the year, but I have to agree. I think what he's done is just as impressive as anybody else. Yeah. I think you can make a strong argument for him. I think you can make a strong argument for Arteta. I think you can make a strong argument for Pep. We'll see how the votes shake out. Well, it is official. Manchester City are champions. What also is official, which <laughs> it's really, really weird. Newcastle United are back in the top four. Manchester United, surely right behind, but it's not official yet. So let's let's take a second and talk about Newcastle because we saw the second half of last season just what Eddie Howe had created. We knew there were benchmarks that they needed to hit to continue this project, for this project to grow, to match the owner's ambitions when they took over the club. But they're exceeding all expectations. They're doing it in spades. They're playing an incredibly efficient brand of soccer. Their defense has been outstanding. They have so many options. You know, even when Caleb Wilson's not healthy, you have Isak. I mean, when Almiron was not in form, you know, there are a million other people stepping up. Jolington. Um, can we just reflect on what Newcastle has accomplished? You know, beating so many teams throughout this entire season during matches that we thought they would fold. We thought they would revert to the norm. But nothing has slowed down this Eddie Howe side. And... If they keep spending, what is their ceiling? This has shades of Man City's arrival. Um, Newcastle, I think it's important to remember, they've done some really shrewd business bringing in Botman, Trippier, Isak, etc. But they haven't really blown the bank. They haven't gotten out over their skis. And a year and a half ago, they were in last place. Yeah. Um, this, at least on the field, is a very organic product. And it's very impressive what Eddie Howe's been able to do with that collection of players. And now he's gotten them to a place where they can build upon that, reinforce that, and probably bring in some players that uh, are Champions League level instead of having to develop them. Um, when Man City got to this point in 2010-11 and qualified for the Champions League the first time, the next season they went on to win the title and have not missed Champions League qualifications since. Wow. It feels like Newcastle, because of how prudent they've been with not overspending or not trying to be too brash about it, it feels like Newcastle has set themselves up for a really, really similar long-term trajectory and success. I don't know if they're contenders next season, but it feels like they've arranged their floor to be at least fourth place. Yeah, I agree. And I think that that stands in stark contrast with Manchester United, who have been incredibly efficient. Certainly injuries to Marcus Rashford hurt a stellar run of form. But we kind of know who United are. We know what their ceiling is. We know what their floor is. You know, I think that they're going to have to spend much more significantly and change what they're doing more dramatically if they want to climb up that table in a way that Newcastle is already primed to do. Would you agree with that assessment? So the question basically is, who would I rather be right now, Manchester United or Newcastle United, as far as sporting success goes, going forward? Yeah. I mean, like United, I mean, they're a counterattacking team. 
I mean, they're well organized, but they still appear in McGuire, don't they? They've got such different concerns. Like Manchester United obviously needs a number nine. They probably need one more body in midfield, at least maybe a wing back. Um, absolutely need a go- new goalkeeper if they're going to kind of make that next progression. But they just re-signed De Gea. Yeah. Um, I, don't, I don't get it. I, listen, he he won the Golden Gloves this year. I love David De Gea, but the, the it, it's a different game now. He is not a you're not playing against the top, top opponents with a goalkeeper who can't use his feet. It's not going to work. Correct. And Newcastle kind of feels like they could continue punching above their way with this crew. Um, they definitely need to upgrade, probably left back, add some bodies in midfield as well. It's They probably need somebody a little bit more potent on the front line. But, I mean, they have Nick Pope in the back. That defense has been outstanding most of the season. Um, Bruno Gimaresh is a one-man midfield at times. Gimaresh has been phenomenal. Um I I might would rather be Newcastle, but it's close. They just have, they just kind of have different problems, but they're both really close to being um, Premier League competitors. I would say. Yeah, I mean, I love Dan Byrne, probably not a Champions League defender, but that defense it's been rock solid, and both these sides might be a couple pieces away. Dan Byrne scored his first ever goal for Newcastle, and he was a boyhood Newcastle fan. I did not know that until last week. He was a boyhood Newcastle fan. Yeah. Ooh. God, that's got to feel good. Yeah, he looked he, he looked pretty excited, to say the least. So we've talked about Newcastle and what they must do to realistically look up the, the table. We've talked about what United, how the options they may have. The operative question right now really seems to be, what can Liverpool do to continue this run of form, which is second only to City, and put themselves back in position to get 85, 90 points a campaign. Are they three moves away from that? Or is that a bygone era? Probably three to four players away, and then you're banking on health. But despite this season, I think that Klopp is still one of the best managers in the world. If they can do early business, um, that Gakpo, Nunez, Salah, Jota front line is going to have another several months to gel and hit the ground running for next season. They've shown the ability to make the adjustment late this year. Um, I think most people expected that was going to have to come in the summer, and they've already shown that they know kind of where they're going with it. They're going to need a pretty hot start, it feels like, to keep up with the Man Cities of the world. But at the same time, it feels like they know where they're going, which I don't know if that was the case two months ago. It felt very listless at Anfield, and now all of a sudden there's hope. I feel like there's a pretty good chance they're going to be second or third favorites for the title next season by the time it rolls around, um, depending on who they can bring in. There's still a lot of really good pieces there. And again, Klopp is as good as anybody is, quite frankly. He doesn't have the success that Guardiola's had so far in titles, but I think Klopp's as good as anybody at his job. Well, I mean, he's overachieved in the Champions League um, with a lot of sides. But, you know, domestic success, no. Uh, Pep. Pep definitely has snuffed him out more than vice versa, and that's not close. But speaking of uh, speaking of teams that Klopp has overachieved with, let's move on to the Bundesliga because Borussia Dortmund are about to break up Bayern Munich's 10, 10, 10 titles in a row. They don't call them Hollywood FC for no reason. All they have to do is to defeat Mainz this weekend or 
Byron loses, and they will be Bundesliga champions for the first time in 11 years. It'll be a staggering accomplishment for Dortmund, and we'll talk about Dortmund. But first, were we not up in arms when Julian Nagelsmann, who, for the record, won the Bundesliga with Bayern Munich last year, was fired unceremoniously on the eve of their match with Manchester City and replaced by Thomas Tuchel? I mean, Oliver Kahn made one of the boldest decisions in the history of modern sport, and he's been somewhat absolved from it because of this distraction that is the ongoing Todd Bowley, Chelsea, you know, enigmatic presence where he doesn't know what he's doing one day compared to the next, et cetera, et cetera. But, you know, when this happened, I said it could cost him domestically, and it's looking like it will. How bad is this going to make Oliver Kahn look? Because I I don't even really blame Tuchel that much, do you? No, he's trying to implement a new system and finish off a season. When he came in, they were in second place with, what, 10, 12 games to go left in the season, not even. So, no, of course it's not his fault. Um, As far as the league goes, I feel like he was dealt a bad hand in the sense that there's not a lot of time to implement his ideas. But, you know, then again, Bayern is probably the best squad in Bundesliga. Not even probably. Bayern's obviously the best squad in Bundesliga. His first game in charge, they beat Dortmund and took the lead and then extended it the week after that. And then since then, it's just completely fallen apart. And Dortmund has taken advantage of the situation and find themselves two points up. So um, it's hard to blame Tuchel. He's also never really been known for his domestic campaign management. But um, yeah, it, it, it has all been really dysfunctional at Bayern for the second half of the season, maybe even a little bit longer. And it looks like they're about to pay the price for it. Yeah. And the thing is, you look at the side and it's not like there are even really obvious changes to be made. Um, We've already heard rumblings about who might be departing, who might be coming in, et cetera, et cetera. But like you just said, this is the most talented side in the Bundesliga. And I dare anybody to make a sane argument that they're not. Yeah, it's not that close. It's just not that close. They, they're they probably the second most talented side in the sport. I mean, I guess you can make an argument for PSG, but those pieces don't fit together. <laughs> and we've had reports of, you know, what is it? Tugel's breaking things in the training ground while Uleonis is trying to supervise to try to right the ship. I mean, this is an unmitigated disaster. And I don't think Dortmund is losing to mines. Do you? They are minus 700. I I I don't want to be the guy who says that minus 700 isn't happening. You know, it's it's always going to be seen as a failure for Bayern if they don't win the league, even if they lose one match all season and the other team goes undefeated or wins every match. That's just the mentality of the place. That's one of the things that makes Bayern special. So from the outside, based on their own standards, and certainly from the inside, it'll be seen as a failure. But it is important to give Dortmund some credit for taking advantage of this slip because in the past 10 years, they've come second six times, I believe, and mm-hmm. only been close once. The story of Dortmund post-Klopp has kind of been very much an almost not quite and not having that little bit of grit to push it over the line or to even push Bayern that far. Um, so it's exciting to see a tight race come back around in Germany and if they can get over this last hurdle, um, very exciting to see Dortmund finally kind of be able to turn the bit 
No, it'll be exciting. It'll be fascinating. You know, and it's it's great to see all this turnover across different leagues. Um, obviously, Barcelona has capped things off in Spain. In Italy, Napoli has run away with it and finally, finally clinched. But the race for the Champions League is nuts right now going in to the final weekend. And before we get into the fixtures, before we tell you how we think it's going to shake out, how disruptive has this entire Juventus situation been to all these teams who, yeah, they may not be in the Champions League, but they're playing other competitions, they're having to rotate their side, and then all of a sudden Juventus just gets the penalties removed, and they're just back. I mean, how disruptive is that to you as a manager who is trying to figure out how to allocate your resources in the best possible way to win the matches that are of the most import? I mean, I'd be furious. <laughs> yeah, and I think a lot of people are. Outside of the fact that Juventus was docked points, it's still very disruptive. Um, long story short, Juventus has been under investigation for um, financial irregularities. At first, they were docked 15 points early part of the season. Then it was reduced to nine, and then it was removed altogether while it was under appeal. And then as of last week, with a few games remaining, Juventus was given a final 10-point penalty moving them out of the Champions League places. Um, without a match even being played, that allowed Lazio to clinch a Champions League place. Suddenly teams that are three or four points out are in it, AC Milan. Um, extremely disruptive and really changes the math for a lot of teams several times during the season. So it's been a bit of a clown show. I'm not sure we expect anything else from Juventus and Italian courts, but yeah, I'm looking forward to I'm glad that the situation is finally finalized. Um, I don't think there's going to be any more adjustments, and we can kind of go into the last couple weeks with some certain understanding of what the uh, situation is. Yeah. Um, thank God this isn't happening in the off season, which, you know, I guess there's a distinct possibility could be happening with Manchester City. Um, can't rule that out. So keep your eye on fifth place in the Premier League. But there are some matches this weekend that may make it just too hard for teams to recover. And let's start with Juventus Milan. If Juve loses, I don't see how they come back. I mean, Milan can Milan can shut them out, can they not? Yeah, even with the draw this weekend, Juventus is eliminated from Champions League places now that their deduction has been implemented. Or the largest beneficiary of that is Milan, their opponent this weekend, now sitting in fourth on 64 points. Um, they still have Atalanta breathing down their neck, but this weekend they could pretty summarily eliminate Juventus. Juventus is favored, I believe, um, but Milan technically does not need more than a draw here to maintain their place. So Yeah. So obviously we have another week after this, but if you're looking at where these teams are right now and what could be the separating weekend, we got Roma Fiorentina. Roma's clinging on to a hope of maybe usurping one of the Milan sides, but that's going to be a big lift. And you got to think that they're putting all their eggs in their Europa League basket. Am I right? Because that'll get them to the Champions League. Yeah, they need to basically win out and have things go their way in this. But against Sevilla in the Europa League final, they only need one win. So Yeah, and, you know, all finals are tough. Europa League final, always famously unpredictable, unless uh, Unai Emery is coaching one of the sides. But I really think Mourinho's got to feel confident going into that match. And I think he's going to do everything that he can to put his team in the best position possible for that. 
even if it means folding in Syria. And then elsewhere, we have Enter, Atalanta, and spoiler alert, it's one of our picks. We'll tell you how we think it shakes out. But if Atalanta does not get what they need out of that result, things get really, really hairy fast. When we come back on the Just for Kicks podcast, we have another edition of Fact or Fiction. Welcome back to the Just for Kicks podcast, where we have another edition of Fact or Fiction for you. I'll be running through a couple prompts. Steve and I will be debating whether they are fact or they are fiction. Straightforward enough. You think the crowd gets it? I think the crowd gets it. First question, because we've we've talked about Newcastle's chances. We've talked about United's upward mobility. But who is going to be the team that stops City's EPL reign? Do you think the first side to end this reign is going to be Arsenal? Or Liverpool, who are undoubtedly going to be favored either second or third in some order to win the Premier League next year. I hope it's fact. Um, I think Arsenal obviously was the best contender this season for it. I think they'll be back in the race next year, but it is going to be really interesting to see how well they can bounce back from such a disappointing end. Um, Liverpool has run this race neck and neck with Man City before. They're the only team in the Premier League right now who has really any title-winning experience at all outside of Man City. So, yeah, I, I think if you're giving me the choice of these two versus the field to break up City's current monopoly, um, fact, it'll be Arsenal or Liverpool. I got an inkling that it'll be neither and that Newcastle is just going to start spending like crazy. But hey, just a premonition. Can I do a fact or fiction follow-up? Yeah. Do you think it'll be anyone next year? Next year? No. City or the field? I would take City over the field next year. I think the only thing that would stop City from winning the title next year would be an injury to Erling Haaland or a failure to replace Gundogan or Bernardo Silva. Which they have unlimited money and they only need one player, so that's just not going to be that much of a problem. I mean, they're great players and they've been in that system, but like they can buy anyone they want. They can. And I think Silva leaves. I think Gundogan, I think this might be Gundogan's last ride in a City jersey, um, especially if they win the Champions League. I know that's probably going to be a way he wants to sign out. Um, And those are two massive, massive players that know this system extraordinarily well. They defend better than other people in the city side who would slot in. Um, You can't put Mares in those positions. You can't put Foden in those positions. But there certainly are a ton of options. And if you got De Bruyne and you got Rodri, I think that midfield is going to be pretty tough to mess with. So, yeah. I'll go fact. City against the field. Can I ask you for the next two years? Fact or fiction, City against the field? They would be the first team to ever win four in a row in England. I think they are going to have a struggle for motivation, especially if they win the Champions League. And I think there will be several very hungry teams and ownerships going into next year. I don't know if it'll be enough next year, but I certainly think it'll be enough. I cannot fathom them winning five, except for the fact that they have one of the best projects that's ever been built. I just feel like the odds are against it. So I'll take the, yeah. Yeah. But they're the best team. So, (laughs) you know. They're going to end up winning this by a gap that doesn't necessarily reflect the dominance that they had. But that shows that things still have to go your way to win that many games in a row. Yeah, that's what's so interesting about this team is that it's 
it took them a long time to get going. And currently as built, I think it's Pep Guardiola's best team, but they have not had the best campaign. Wow. What they've done the last few months has been some of the most impressive soccer of not just his reign there, but in general period paragraph. If they can carry that out for a whole year, like we're possibly talking about a hundred plus points and the best team of all time. So you think this is Pep's best team ever? I think the team we've been watching since maybe around Red Bull Leipzig and definitely Bayern Munich has been the best couple of months that I've ever seen. Um, some very important adjustments and Gundo, like you mentioned earlier, and Silva being slotted in were pivotal in that kind of Death Star completion. Um, yeah, since the charges came out against them, they're like unbeaten, I believe, actually. Um, so Really? Yeah. That's usually not a coincidence. Well, we'll never know whether this side would have beaten that famous Barcelona side that put on the total clinic against Manchester United the second time they played them in the Champions League final, the David Villa side um, that was just <sighs> remarkable. But um, if any team would give that side a run for its money, it's definitely this city side. So let's go back to fact of fiction. Is as Roberto de Serbia has asserted, Brighton finishing in the top six more impressive than a traditional top six side winning the league. Fact or fiction? I'm going to go fact. I'm taking fact as well. I think there's a little bit nuance to the point where if Arsenal or Tottenham had won it, that would be a bit more unexpected than obviously City winning it. But considering the fact that there are six teams... The big six, obviously, and then that Newcastle has made this leap. The fact that Brighton has been able to squeeze into a top six spot is very arguably the most impressive thing of the season. Yeah, absolutely. So, last question. Fact or fiction? Is Pep Guardiola, in fact, regardless of what happens in the future, right now, the greatest Premier League manager of all time? I'm willing to hear arguments in the other, in the other camp. Longevity is something to be considered, but I think as far as influence and the tactical importance of the game, Pep Guardiola has to be considered the most influential and therefore greatest manager of the Premier League era. Yeah, I think I think it's really, really hard just because of the different periods with which Sir Alex was dominant different nucleuses. Obviously, he had a great crop of young players that helped him out. Obviously, he was given a lot of patience off the bat. But I do think that Pep, if we're going to just do blind resume tests, for him to say he's the most accomplished, he might need to win a few more Premier League trophies. Just saying. Yeah, so his most impressive feat so far is uh, winning three in a row and then five out of six. And... Sir Alex Ferguson won three in a row twice. He had several other back-to-backs and 13 total. So if you're just doing counting, it's nowhere close. But he has matched his biggest feat in that sense of winning three in a row, five out of six, and having that period of dominance, I think given the opportunity to have stretched it further during his time at Bayern Munich or perhaps in the future, he would match it. And I think unquestionably in terms of like tactical influence throughout the league throughout the country and throughout the world it's not even close pep guardiola is probably the best in the world of all time period in that category and i don't think anyone holds a candle there yeah i mean in terms of influence i mean it's kind of you're kind of asking like before cruyff and after cruyff 
Yeah, no, he's in, he's he's a thousand percent a dot on that timeline. Yeah, I mean that if we're really talking about how the game's played, we're talking about where it's going. We're talking about you know the things he implemented at Barcelona that now we see sides in you know the third tier of English football. Dude, forget about the third tier of English football. Like this is how kids play when they're eight in like Michigan. The first episode of this show, we had Frank Four telling us that his sixth grade daughter was learning about the double pivot and they were watching Barcelona. I mean He's completely <sighs> changed the game. He's he's changed it in a dramatic, dramatic way. I mean I was playing FIFA the other night and I realized that over the last three years, the amount of times that I play out of the back as opposed to kicking the ball towards midfield I play out of the back like 95% of the time. As you should. And I never, and I don't think most people ever, ever did in FIFA in real life. And I mean, it's just, he's totally, totally put a different emphasis on different aspects of the game. And we're never going back to the era before Pep Guardiola took over at Barcelona, and especially before he took over at Manchester City. And when I was at the Etihad last year, I'm not going to lie, I did not expect that cultural shift to have taken place so dramatically. He has made Manchester City fans so savvy, so plugged in. It's, it's a very, very, very special place. And only Pep Guardiola could cultivate that type of atmosphere. So... Yeah, I mean, there's different criteria, and, you know, we can talk about Bill Russell being the most accomplished basketball player of all time, but if he played right now, probably be a power forward. Um, Sir Alex Ferguson certainly, you know, has the titles and spades. He's done it in different eras. He's done it with unique challenges. But Pep, man, he's the renaissance man. There's no way around that. But an even more important question that Pep has brought to us and I just saw it on Twitter, our wonderful editor, Mikhail, texted it to me. We might actually have something similar to hell freezing over if Manchester City wins the Champions League. Liam Gallagher has announced an Oasis reunion. You heard it here, probably second. But <laughs> Liam Gallagher has announced a full Oasis reunion. Hell will freeze over if City wins. Fact or fiction? Do you think Noel is on board? Oof. I hesitate to ever speak for one of the Gallagher brothers, but I certainly hope so. <laughs> I certainly hope so, too. I, I certainly hope he has uh, stronger opinions of his brother post-Manchester City than he does of uh, the Beach Boys, the Kaiser Chiefs. Uh, I don't know. Just about this, this list is long. Just about any <laughs> anybody that uh, has ever crossed him at any stage of his life. Um, but. Do you think we should send Blur um, Inter Milan gear? You think they might like that? Yeah, like a, a nice Bobo Vieri jersey. Yeah, a nice Bobo Vieri jersey. That would be, that'd be fantastic. Well, Pep is a uniter. He's not a divider. And if he can bring Oasis together and reinvent the beautiful game, he can do anything. Well, he can't stop a civil war. He's not as great as Drogba. Sorry. But he's pretty good. He's pretty good. Most complete forward of all time greatest manager of all time they tend to be uniters when we come back in the just for kicks podcast we will have the best betting tips in all known universes coming straight to you from a action-packed weekend in syria 
Welcome back to the Just for Kicks podcast. We have a quick, quick addendum because I, I tried to slip a fast one past my wonderful co-host, and um, he's, he's just not going to let it stand. So before we give you the picks, Trogba, great striker or greatest striker? Great. We'll leave it at great. Single syllable. Uh, may, maybe he could pass a little better. Uh, I don't know. I, I don't know what else he's lacking, but another conversation for another day. You had also started this conversation by saying most complete. We'll, we'll, uh, we'll parse this next week. We'll parse this next week. And then the week after, if you disagree. So we got our picks and we're going to spice things up this week. Last week we gave you Real Sociedad and a Tino bet. That cashed out at plus 220. We got more action for you this time from Italy and from England. Steve, what you got? Spezia, plus 135 against Torino. Spezia needs some points to stave off relegation. Torino does not have much to play for, and Spezia beat them away earlier in January. Um, so taking that Saturday. Next, one of the main draws of the weekend, in Italy especially, Atalanta plus 300 at Inter. Atalanta needs to win this game to stay alive in the top four race. Inter has most likely got their head turned for the Coppa Italia midweek. Two very good sides. Atalanta's not scared of anyone. Atalanta's also a decent road team, and Inter does not draw at home. They win or lose, so we're taking Atalanta all the way, plus 300. And the last one is Palace, minus 145. Crystal Palace, minus 145 against Nottingham Forest. Nottingham Forest coming off the back of their celebrations, probably going to be a little bit distracted or slow. And Crystal Palace, last game at home of the season, been putting on a really good show lately under Roy Hodgson. Um, minus 145 to finish the season on a high note. That's Spezia plus 135 against the second best side in Turin, Torino. Hey, but they're the best side that haven't been accused of doing anything illegal this season. So that's got to count for something. Then we have Atalanta, one of the most exciting teams in Italy, plus 300 against your Champions League finalists, Inter Milan. We think they're going to be distracted. Put the money on Atalanta, plus 300. And then Crystal Palace, managed by the last true gentleman in English football, Uncle Roy, minus 145 against Nottingham Forest. Lock it up, cash out. Before we go, Steve, what are you watching this weekend? Championship playoff final, Saturday, 1145 ESPN+. Plus. Famously referred to as the most valuable match in football. The winner of this comes out an estimated about $210 million richer over the course of the next three seasons, um, especially for these two clubs. That is beyond life-altering money. Um, Luton Town versus Coventry City. Both of these teams were promoted from the fourth tier together in 2017 and 18 and suddenly find themselves on the cusp of the Premier League. Wow. Luton Town has never played in the Premier League. They were one of the last teams relegated before the formation. And Coventry spent the first nine seasons in the Premier League but have not been up since and have had lots of trouble uh, financially, even had to move stadiums. Victor Giorquez, Giorquez, um, potent goal scorer for Coventry. He'll be going up against Ethan Horvath. You might know him as a United States keeper. Oh, yeah. Um, he'll be in goal for Luton Town, but his opposite, Ben Wilson, has had the most clean sheets in the championship. Um, both teams are in pretty solid form. Only two losses between them since March. Luton is favored at plus 145, Coventry plus 210. 
Um, usually really, really tense matchups. Could not recommend it better. It's one of the most dramatic games available every season. So, again, that's Saturday, um, ESPN+. Plus. Yeah, and they got an opportunity to join Sheffield United, and they will have the opportunity to join Vincent Company's Burnley in the Premier League next year. They'll have a pretty penny to do it with if they can win. Um, my eyes are going to be glued to the television. Um, ESPN Plus, 9.30 a.m. Eastern. Bayern's going to be playing the exact same time that Dortmund takes on Mines. And my friends, it's going to be the shot heard around the world whoever scores that winning goal for Dortmund if and when it happens. So we got a great weekend ahead. Can, can I just say something real quick? In the words of our English friends, I wish that ESPN would do one because these great games, all the Bundesliga games, the English Championship playoff are on ESPN Plus on Saturday. So at least it's all in one place for us. But it's getting – it's the marquee matchups for their best leagues. And they're getting dumped for Monaco qualifying in some random XFL or NHL narrative dribble documentary whatnot. Like pull it together, ESPN. Like I, I hate this late stage capitalism nonsense. But here's here's what I don't understand. If if they're airing a documentary, and correct me if I'm wrong, but if you you get ESPN Plus, you have these documentaries on demand, do you not? So you could voluntarily choose to watch the NHL documentary, right? And they could just air the marquee matchup, <laughs> the most important. I just. Why acquire the rights? That's what I'm saying. If you're not going to air this match, it's one of the it's like the most exciting weekend in Bundesliga in ten years. Eleven. And it's one of the best games <laughs> in English football every year. Eleven. Yeah, it's I don't know. It's really really frustrating, but whatever. I'll be watching ESPN Plus. You can take your Monaco Grand Prix qualifying and shove it, yeah. shove it into your couch cushions. Obviously, I wasn't saying anything more grotesque than that. Yeah. Well. Dortmund's minus 750, but I have a feeling there's going to be some drama because when you haven't been there before, it's pretty scary having to cross that line. So it will not be straightforward. It will not be straightforward. And I I hope I'm not alone in hoping that Gio Reyna is going to be the man that puts them over the top. I mean, how cool would that be? Yeah, we got Gio Reyna and Ethan Horvath like playing in the marquee matchups on uh, Saturday. It's a very exciting day for American soccer. And the USU-20 are in a position to top the group. They can get a draw against Slovakia uh, Friday. So check that out as well. Yeah. Any other uh, brain busters that will leave our noodles in the pan before we leave our beloved audience? They're not brain busters, but they are important facts. Um, back on the United States men's national team, now that he's announced he's playing for us, Valeran Balagoon became the first American to score 20-plus goals in one of Europe's big five leagues. Wow. Last weekend, um, doing it in league. Uh, he announced he will not be playing in the Gold Cup. So hopefully we'll see him in the Nations League or maybe some friendlies next season. I'm sure that time will be coming. Um, but he's had a great season, one of the best seasons ever for an American striker. And sitting in France, there is another youngster, up-and-comer, Lionel Messi, who is the only player now in Europe's big five leagues to have 20 goals and 20 assists this season. So he's not dead yet, kids. Well, thanks for listening to the Just for Kicks podcast. Wherever you're listening to your podcast, whether it's Apple, whether it's Spotify, or anywhere else in the wide world of podcasting, follow, subscribe, write a review, or don't. Just listen. 
Thanks for listening to another episode of the Just for Kicks podcast. It's going to be an exciting weekend, and we are barreling towards the end of one of the most remarkable seasons I can remember. So make sure to stay tuned and make sure to let the beautiful game into your heart, mind, and soul. Let it control you. Let it take you over. Just don't be a sentient being anymore. Just worship the beautiful game. We'll talk to you guys later. 